Okay, we are continuing today in our series through the book of Exodus. And um, glad that you're here, glad that you're back, ready to learn. There's going to be some learning that's going to happen today. We uh, last week worked through the series of plagues that happened in Exodus chapter 7 through 11. And Jean Damon was a guest preacher last week, and she did a really good job kind of working us through that, helping us understand some of the struggle that happens between God through Moses and Pharaoh, as Moses is is saying to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh again and again resists. And what I want to do today in those 10 plagues is kind of zoom in a little closer on something that happens inside of those struggles, this conversation around the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and what role God has in determining that hardening. And so I want to I look at that and try to understand it. And so if you brought your Bible, uh, I would encourage you to open it up now to Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Um, if you didn't, there is a Bible in, in the chair in front of you. I'd encourage you to grab it and open up to page 51. Um, We are going to go ahead and read that as an example of one of the plagues to study all of them, but uh, we're going to do that, and before we do it, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Lord, we are um, so blessed to be here this morning. We are uh, a people who need you desperately, who want to understand you more, who who need to know um, how you work and are at work in our lives so that we can become the people who you've called us to be. I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would give us hearts that would be um, soft enough, uh, as that's what we're going to talk about, to, to try to understand what it is that is happening in this passage, and that we would, we would have hearts that would see, see your, your will and your good ways in the midst of, of something as difficult as, as uh, slavery and oppression and, um, and Lord, I just, uh, I pray that, that you would speak to us and that your Holy Spirit would move in each of us as, as only you can do, Lord. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace And have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt. And festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it in the air and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of all the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. So over the years, there was a, there's been a really good question that I was taught and have learned to use when I uh, have studied and read Scripture. And it's a very simple question. It's this. When you read a passage, is there something that jumps out to you? Is there something that you read that sticks out that you can't ignore? And when I read this passage, uh, and actually when I look at the entirety of the plagues, the one thing that I cannot ignore is these little lines that say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
the question that, that comes to my mind is, what is going on with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and what, what is God's role in it? Because it's not just a question about Pharaoh. What it does is it brings up questions for us about, like, what role does God have in determining our actions, right? What, what, what does God control in our wills? That's really the underlying question. And a couple of weeks ago, um, we were sitting down as a family to eat dinner, and uh, Johnny, the four-year-old boy who is wonderful and full of great things, uh, had broccoli on his plate, and lo and behold, Johnny did not want to eat his broccoli. And so I was trying to convince Johnny, you need to eat your broccoli, and this is what he said to me with a straight face. He said, Dad, Dad, I want to eat my broccoli. I love broccoli, but my tummy doesn't like broccoli. <laughs> he said, Dad, I'm not the problem. It's not me. He, he actually said this. My tummy is the problem, right? And I very much appreciated his creativity. You know, I could not look at him with a straight face when he said this. But, uh, but uh, as you might guess, Johnny ended up still being demanded to eat his broccoli that night because we all know there is no separate determining entity uh, that decides what your belly does over your brain, right? Your belly and your brain are the same, controlled by the same will. And, and, and what's interesting about this passage is that, that actually there does seem to be a distinction being made. Like there is an outside force kind of controlling what Pharaoh is doing. And the, the, the scripture says to, to suggest that it's God, the one that's controlling his heart. And by heart, it's not like the physical beating thing in his chest. It's the will. It's the seat of the person. It's the, what makes decisions. And, and verse 12 clearly says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Simple, clear, no other way to read it. And this is why in the text, uh, this is the reason why Pharaoh wouldn't free God's people. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And so the question arises, if Pharaoh's heart is being controlled by God, you know, how, how is Pharaoh responsible for his action? Is he morally responsible for what's going on here? And, and uh, uh, the philosopher Immanuel Kant, the ethicist, you might have heard of him, said it like this. If our will is itself determined by antecedent causes or things outside of or beyond our control, then we are no more accountable for our actions than any other mechanical object whose movements are internally conditioned. In other words, Kant is saying robots are not responsible for their actions, right? Uh, Pharaoh is a robot here, and God is the programmer. And if God's the programmer, it's not Pharaoh, the robot, who, who we should blame. It's God, right? So this is the dilemma in, in the series of plagues that comes up. And, and the question is, how do we make sense of this? What, what is the Bible saying? How does it make sense in Christian faith? And what I want to do is, uh, is kind of look at this a little deeper and first ask the question, do we really understand what's going on here? Because there's actually more to this story. And I want to bring up three points that will help you more clearly see what is happening in the scripture. Here's the first one. First thing to note is that Harrow, Pharaoh, Harrow, Pharaoh hardens Pharaoh's heart too. Pharaoh hardens Pharaoh's heart too. That's also in, in, in this, this series of scriptures. While there are instances of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, there are other instances where the Bible specifically says that it is not God who does the hardening, but Pharaoh who hardens his own heart. And one example of that is take plague number two, the plague of frogs in, in Exodus chapter 8. 
God sends these plague of frogs over Egypt after Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go. And so they come up out of the Nile. They are everywhere. They are in everything. They are tired of them. And, and Pharaoh finally says, enough. Moses, would you please, please pray to God to stop this plague? And so Moses prays to God. The plague stops. And then this is what we read in uh, chapter 8, verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief... He hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Right? So this is a, an instance of it being Pharaoh's activity, right? A clear instance, not of God doing it, but of Pharaoh doing it. And, and, and what that does, just to recognize that that happens, and there's, there's uh, two clear instances like this where it's Pharaoh, is that the first thing, this isn't like a blanket decision of God to harden Pharaoh's heart that rests over all these plagues. Like there is some complexity in what's going on here. And that, that's really the first thing that, that I want you to see. Here's the second thing. Uh, number two, sometimes the hardener of Pharaoh's heart is ambiguous in the scripture, but when you look at it deeper, it's another example actually of Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Okay, uh, hang with me on this. It gets a little technical, which is nerdy, um, but there's a translation issue which complicates the way that we read this in English that I really need, need to, to explain. In the first, third, and fifth plagues, uh, the, the translation for Pharaoh's hardening is ambiguous. And I'm going to give you one example in the first plague. Uh, chapter 7, verse 13, Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them became hard. That is ambiguous in, in English. It's actually ambiguous in Hebrew. It doesn't tell you who far hardened Pharaoh's heart. We don't know if Pharaoh did it. We don't know if God did it. It's kind of like the sentence, um, the dishes were left dirty, right? Right? Like, so, so we know the state of the dishes. We just don't know who left them dirty. The subject is not clarified in that sense. If your spouse says to you, the dishes were left dirty, there's a subject that's implied, right? It doesn't mean that there isn't a subject, but, but, uh, but it's not clarified in that sentence. And that's how, how that works. We don't know exactly what's going on. And why does, does it translate ambiguously like that? It's because in Hebrew, the verb used for became hard is this word kazakh, right? So there it is in 713, Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and that word is kazak, and it's, a, it's called a stative verb. And stative verbs intentionally do not indicate the subject, right? So, so, so the clearest way to translate them is ambiguously. And this is what the NIV translation that we read here does. It, tra it translates it ambiguously. I will tell you, not every translation does that. They assume the, the, the subject. They make an interpretive jump there. It's not correct. And uh, it's actually ambiguous. It needs to stay ambiguous. And, and, and so here is why uh, this is important. What do you do in Scripture when, you, when you're not sure about something? Well, here's another little tip for biblical in interpretation. Um, when something isn't clear in one place, what you can do is see if there's any other parallel places where something like this happens that may give more context clues, that may be clear to help you understand what's going on, particularly with a similar word like Kazakh. So does Kazakh show up in other places? Absolutely. And, um, and it shows up ambiguously in other places. And, and one of those examples is in the seventh plague of hail. 
And what we read in the seventh plague is that Pharaoh actually hardens his own heart. Here it is, Exodus 9, 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again, and he and his officials hardened their hearts, right? So that's clear. We know who's doing the hardening in this, in this instance. It, it, it's very clear. But what's interesting is that you move one verse further to describe this same event, and suddenly this Kazakh verb is used. It's ambiguous to describe an instance where we know what is happening, right? And it says this, um, uh, so Pharaoh's heart was hard, Kazakh, and he would not let the Israelites go. So you put those together, and what is happening with that ambiguous verb? It's Pharaoh doing the hardening, and the author just chose to use an ambiguous verb. And so what this really suggests to us is in the way that this author is communicating, he, when he uses the ambiguous verb, it's actually instances of Pharaoh doing it. Okay, so, uh, so, so here, here's where all some of this starts coming together. I want to show you an overview then of the ten plagues based on what we see with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. I know there's a lot up there. Let me just simply explain it. On the left is the number of the plague, what happened. Um, in the middle is the scripture and, and the state. You know, it says who does the hardening. And on the right, underlined is identified who is the one that acted on Pharaoh's heart. Okay, and so... The first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the seventh are all Pharaoh acting on his heart. The, the sixth, the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth are God. Okay, so when you look at that, uh, does any kind of pattern emerge for you when, when you see what's going on there? It's actually fairly simple. At the beginning of the plagues, Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. He is, is sitting in his rebellion over and over again, uh, five times and then a sixth time in the seventh one, right? And it's not until after that fifth time that God steps in and confirms what's already going on in Pharaoh's heart. Okay, so, so, there, so, so this is the last point that I, I just want to make. There is a clear pattern of Pharaoh hardening his own heart before God begins ever to step in and harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay, that's what's happening in the scripture. I have done very little interpretive work here. I've just tried to describe to you what we are observing, okay? Okay, so now that we, we see what we see, we understand what's happening in the text in these series of plagues through Exodus, what does this mean? Now the interpretive work. And let me, let me say what, what I think this means and, and ask those two questions again that I introduced the very first week of Exodus. What does this tell us about God and what can we learn about ourselves, right? So what, what does the hardening of Pharaoh's heart tell us about God and what can it tell us about ourselves? Those are both going to be wrapped up in some of the answers I'm going to give now. Here's the first one. God is exceedingly gracious, but when we continually resist God's grace and cement ourselves in a destructive path, there can be a point of no return. God is exceedingly gracious, but when we continually resist God's grace and cement ourselves in a destructive path, there can be a point of no return. You know, um, one of the things that I realized when I kind of looked at all ten plagues together and, and I got to see what was going on from a larger perspective, is that God actually is incredibly gracious with Pharaoh, 
Like, I, I had missed that. There were five times and a sixth time where God continued to give grace to Pharaoh after he had decided to go the other, the other direction. And what I think that helped me to realize is that um, my fear of judgment and God's activity here had clouded my vision of God's grace, right? It's because these four times where God stepped in and acted were so, were so strange to me that I had missed all the other instances where God had, had been very, very gracious to Pharaoh. And uh, honestly, a lot more gracious than I think any of us would have ever been. I think that we missed that too. Let me put this in more familiar terms so that, so that we can get a better sense of what actually has happened in this passage. Imagine that you have a child, and that child is doing irresponsible or destructive things. How many chances would you give them to amend their ways, right? God gives five here, uh, actually kind of six, and, uh, and I'm thinking as a parent, um, I'm not going to give no five chances. There's a rule that I like, and it's three, right? This is baseball area. What do we say? Three strikes, and you are out, right? And, and, and so uh, when you think about irresponsible things, like Johnny not wanting to eat his broccoli, right? I will sit there. I'm a parent. I have this conversation like daily, like hourly, right? Um, I, I, Johnny, I'm going to tell you three times to eat your broccoli. If I get to the third time, what happens? Judgment, right? No dessert, right? It's not happening for you, right? And then, and then so think about this. When things aren't just irresponsible but, but damaging or destructive, Three times is, is really, really gracious, perhaps more gracious than, than we would even be comfortable with. Because if you had a child who was driving drunk and endangering themselves and everybody else, like, are you going to give them three chances to continue on in that behavior? Three chances is really gracious, right? Like, like, like maybe too much, right? If you have a child and you are paying for their college education and you discover that they are taking that money and using it for a drug habit, right? <laughs> are you going to continue to allow uh, them to have that money? Like the, <laughs> the thing that happens when our behaviors become more destructive is, is that our patience starts to thin out, right? And, and really, it, it should. And so now think about what's happening in this passage from God's perspective. The Israelites are crying out for God to save them because their lives are absolutely horrible. They are oppressed. They are being beaten uh, this was part of Moses' story. He saw an, e an e Israelite who was being beaten by an Egyptian. They are, uh, they are being enslaved. Pharaoh is killing their baby boys. Every single baby boy, Pharaoh is ending its life. And, and so if you also remember from Exodus week one, Pharaoh isn't just, you know, some normal average guy. This is the worst person in the Bible we have met up until this point. He is, he is an archetype for evil. He is, he is supposed to be the epitome of what happens when human rebellion reaches its peak and we choose our own way. He is Hitler. He is Stalin. He is the worst person that we're supposed to be able to, to, to imagine. He's evil incarnate. And so here's the question. Would you have given evil... Would you have given Pharaoh five chances to, to do something else? I mean, I'll be honest, when I think about like horrible world leaders in history, Hitler, 
I don't think I'm giving that dude any chances, right? He has already shown what, what is happening in his heart and what he's done. And so what, what, most, what most people do or think, you know, judgment comes the moment we can get it to him, right? Judgment will happen. We're, we're done. And I don't think any of us would feel unjustified in taking that position, right? Would you? So, so, so here's the thing. Why are we, cons- why are we so concerned when God steps in to stop a Hitler in this situation and work out a greater plan to free his people, right? And, and that's what the Bible says is actually happening here, that God is stepping in in the hardening of Herod's heart to show that God is bigger and stronger than Pharaoh. He's greater than the Egyptian God, and he will act on behalf of his people. He will make it so Pharaoh gets so hard so that, that the people are forced to go. And that's, that's what happens when we read about them re- leaving in, in the Red Sea. We should not be surprised or even upset about God doing what it takes to end slavery and oppression and, and find justice. And, and you know, uh, the way that I really have come to understand what's going on in this passage is that, that, that God isn't like introducing anything new here. He's simply confirming and partnering with what was already going on in Pharaoh's heart, right? Uh, Pharaoh had, had put himself on a destructive path. He had continued to make destructive decisions, and, and God simply uses it to work out a greater plan. That, that, that's really how the Bible understands what's going on here. And just to point this out, in the language itself of Chazak, or the word became, be, to become hard when Pharaoh's heart was hard. Uh, I read some commentaries, and one uh, just gave a translation called Adam Clark. He said, if you can go back one, um, yeah, or pull it all together. He said, uh, to, to Kazakh literally translates to, to strengthen, to confirm, to make bold, to, to be courageous. And the thing that I want you to notice in all of those verb synonyms to to strengthen to confirm to make bold is that none of those things deal with with creation of anything new they they only work with already what exists you strengthen something that already has a muscle you confirm something that already is is right right you 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 embolden something that is trying to step out already right so the idea of hardening was never like God simply taking this random person who is generally good and saying, oh, you know, I'm going to be some cruel, vindictive leader and harden your heart. That, that's not what happened here at all. This was a horrible person who cemented himself in a path of destruction and, 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 and hit a point of no return. Right? That, that, that's what happened. And, and I mean, I think if we step back and we're honest, we, we can recognize that life is full of points of no return, isn't it? Right? If you're a person, if, if you uh, have picked up smoking and you continue to smoke year after year after year, right? And, and this habit and you fight it and you cannot stop it. I mean, there's going to come a time when the doctor tells you you have lung cancer, that, that, that's going to happen, right? If you are a, a person 
who continues to, to make short-term financial decisions, if we never get a hold of our finances, if we only live in today, right, there will come a time when we lose the ability to ever live long-term with our finances, right? We won't be able to retire how we want to. We're only going to be able to have enough money to deal with what's happening right now today, right? If we have a personal relationship and that relationship is, is strained and we are upset and angry and we're unwilling to talk through the things that are going on there, right? There will come a day when, when that other person will say, I can't do this anymore, right? That th there's points of no return all throughout life. And, um, and there's a quote that came up a minute ago, if we could put it back up, British writer that I ran across named Catherine R. that just came to mind really good here when I thought about the character of Pharaoh. If you can't be a good example, then you'll just have to be a horrible warning. It's a really sobering quote, but man, it, it just captures what's going on here so well. And this, this is Pharaoh's role in the scripture. I, I think this is why we have this story about Pharaoh and his heart, because it's a cautionary tale for us to what can happen in our own lives and what happens in human lives that continually resist God and continually to, to, to get set in paths of destruction, we can get our hard hearts cemented and, and we can get to points of no return, right? And that's, that's what Pharaoh shows us. So here's, here's the, the other thing that I want to offer you all to take home today. When your heart gets hard, allow God to heal it. <laughs> When your heart gets hard, allow God to heal it. Keep it soft. Don't let it get to the point where, where it continues to, to get harder and harder. You know, just earlier this week, um, I was trying to help my wife out with the dishes. And full disclosure here, I am a dish slacker. Uh, Shannon does the vast majority of dishes in our house, and there are not just a few nights when uh, there have been dishes in the sink and she's had to be busy doing something else and I, fully aware of those dishes, have walked over to my chair and taken a rest, you know, knowing that later Shannon would probably come back and, and do them. And, uh, and so one night this last week, I decided to, to amend my ways and, uh, and try to help out with those dishes. And the next day, uh, we, were in, we were in the kitchen together and putting some stuff away, and Shannon looked over into the dishwasher and noticed that I had put some things in there that should not have been in there, right? And so she told me, David, these cannot be in here. I've told you this before, right? And the moment those words came out of her mouth, you know what happened to my heart? <laughs> Hardened up a little bit, <laughs> right? Uh, that was, uh, I, could, I could feel it happening, you know? And so I was thinking, oh man, I tried so hard. I did a good, I thought I did a good job. You know, you know what I said to Shannon? You never told me I couldn't put those in there. You, you never said that. You never said that to me. Any, anybody else ever had this conversation? You know, <laughs> I, I got self-defensive. I suddenly thought, no, you know, I tried hard. I, I don't like you telling me this. Right? And so, Shannon, you didn't, you didn't tell me that. And then two minutes later when she stepped out of the room and I started to think about it, like, I remembered. 
you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I remembered what happened. And, uh, and, and what I find in those moments is that, like, we can kind of feel it when our heart's getting hard, right? Like, there's a point of decision that we're all very aware of. Like, there's this flash of, okay, what if I'm wrong, right? Or there's a letdown in that self-defense, and we think, oh, man. And then, and then we go right back to being hard, right? There's, like, this point of decision. And, and, and you know what I think that is when, when we have that ability to, to have self-awareness and get out of that, like, immediate gut, visceral response? It's God's grace, man. That is the Holy Spirit giving us some self-awareness of what is going on in our life. It's God saying to me in that moment, it was, David, your heart is getting hard. You need to check yourself, dude. And God says, dude, to me, David, get outside of your self-justification. David, this is your sinful nature rising up here. Do not allow it to overtake you. And, and what I know, because I have let it overtake me, is that if I let my frustration and my fear suddenly solidify, get harder, right? What happens is, is that decision leads to other plagues that come out in my life, right? You get hard towards someone else, and you can have a month long of tension from that very thing. I could begin to think to myself, fully unjustified, with a hard heart. Well, aren't, she, aren't the dishes Shannon's job anyway? Like, isn't this something she's supposed to do? We never had that conversation, right? You know, didn't I try hard enough in, like, getting it? Or doesn't she know how tired I am, right? And, and then what'll happen is we'll, we'll both get, I'll get hard towards her. She may not even get hard towards me. All that happened has to happen is me to be hard towards her. And then that, that tense relationship will bleed over into my relationship with my kids, right? There'll be tension in the home that they'll notice. And that tense relationship can bleed over into a lack of energy in leading in my job, right? Like if I don't have my things right at home, I'm not going to lead this community well as we try to connect people to a greater life in Christ. Because right at that moment, I'm one that needs greater life in Jesus, right? You know? And, and And so it's this recognition that like that point of decision that moment when we feel our heart getting hard, like that's, that's when like we have to be open to God's grace. That's God trying to heal us, to step in and do something and, and, and help us be new. And, and here's the good news. If you recognize it, if you can feel it, if you know that moment, man, all you got to do is let it happen. All you got to do is just soften up a little bit. If you are worried about whether or not you have a heart that's hardened, that very fact that you are worried is evidence of God's grace to let you know that you are hard and it's time to soften, to soften up. And, 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 and so don't sit there. Don't let it fester, right? Go apologize to whomever you need to go apologize to. Pray, God, thank you. Help me to stay soft. Help me to overcome my own pride in this. And, and, and respond in the book of Hebrews in a reflection on this very instance with Pharaoh. It says, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. And so, so the action happens today, right now. When you hear God's voice, don't let your heart get hard. And when, when you do that, when, when you make that movement towards softness, towards response to God, man, 
that is when things can really happen in your life. This is when God really acts. And I'm just, I just pray that as, as we live our lives, man, you guys would remember this and open up space for the Holy Spirit to work in your lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for even really hard passages of scripture like this one that um, challenge our thinking and that uh, make us think long and deep about who you are, but Lord, in some ways, <laughs> help us have an even greater mirror to see who we are. And I just, I pray that um, as your spirit is at work in our lives, that, that it would continue to do that work in making us be holy and completely new people who day by day are more like your son Jesus and who day by day um, are offering your hope and new life to those around us. In your, in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.